So that's a whole voting block, a whole voting, voting block of young people who have this mindset mm. that if you don't agree with my preferred gender identity, that I can create at a whim based on how I feel at the moment, we should be able to jail you. That's the, that's the premise that these groups are talking about, and they're finding they're they're finding an audience for those claims. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Freedom Feature. And I'm your host, Barry Bussey. With me today, I have Jojo Ruba from Free to Care, and also Hatim Kier, who is a lawyer who represented Free to Care as an intervener in a Bill Walcott case. But now there's a case here in Ontario. Can you explain this one for us? Yeah, so it all started at the Pride Parade in 2016. Uh, Bill Watcott used a false name to get a place in the parade. And then in the parade, he and others in his group handed out flyers. Uh, and, and so the flyers contained uh, images of uh, diseases, dead bodies, and, and basically it warned that the homosexual lifestyle leads to disease and it admonished the reader to, uh, to, to give it up and to believe in Jesus Christ, in short. Um, and as a result of that, complaints were made to the Toronto police and eventually charges were laid against uh, Bill Watcott for the willful promotion of hatred. Uh, and then he was acquitted at trial uh, by a judge. And so the Crown appealed it to the Court of Appeal, arguing that the judge misapplied the definition of hatred, uh, that the judge improperly excluded uh, expert evidence that the Crown was trying to tender. Uh, and that the judge improperly excluded evidence of past conduct of Bill Watcott, things he'd said uh, separate from uh, what he'd done at the Pride Parade. So now the thing is, this case involves issues of freedom of speech of individuals, of Canadians. What were the free speech concerns? Well, this wasn't a uh, charter case per se. Okay. So um, your your viewers may, may know uh, that the constitutionality of the offense of willful promotion of hatred was litigated uh, back in the 90s mm. uh, in a case called Keegstra, and the Supreme Court upheld it as being constitutional. So, so that much is settled. Um, but the, the Crown was arguing that the judge had misapplied the definition of hatred. And so there is an issue about where the edge of this offense that is ultimately a limitation on people's ability to express themselves, where it lies. And the, the Crown was making an argument that would that would have expanded the scope of the offense. And uh, a corollary of that is that it would have it would have had a, a greater limitation on people's right to free expression. Uh, so one argument that the Crown was making was that uh, in the flyer, uh, Bill Watcott had urged uh, people reading it who were attending the Pride Parade to cease engaging in homosexual activity. And the Crown argued that because homosexual activity is an integral activity, uh, it's integral to the identity of being a gay man, mm -hmm. ad, uh, advocating that gay men should give it up is, is tantamount to, to saying gay men shouldn't exist. And so in essence, he was advocating for the eradication of gay men, which is in itself promotion of hatred. Mm. And what is, now I, I know you're not the counsel for Mr. Watcott, you're the counsel for Free to Care, but can, can you help explain 
what the rebuttal was to that. Uh, well, there were a number of rebuttals. So uh, uh, Watcott's counsel uh, was obviously uh, pushing back on that, but then also Free to Care was intervening to push back on it. And, and then also ARPA Canada was uh, intervening again. Uh, so this was quite a controversial issue. Mm -hmm. But um, the, the argument from uh, Mr. Watcott's counsel was that this, this is a misreading of the case law, essentially, that in a uh, actually, in, in the previous case, bearing uh, Watcott's name that had gone to the Supreme Court, uh, the, the Supreme Court was pretty clear that there is still room for people to advocate against behaviors that they disagree with, uh, namely uh, homosexual sex, and that the, the, the question is always whether the, the speech in question, the speech that's at issue, whether it is uh, it is in fact going to lead to the vilification and detestation of the identifiable group. And so um, it, on the one hand, that means uh, people can't hide behind moral criticism mm -hmm. in, in order to spread hate. But on the other hand, it means moral criticism isn't inherently uh, the promotion of hate. So I guess my question now would be, is the Crown expanding the definition that the Supreme Court made in it's in the Watcott case with respect to hate. Yeah, I would say that their their argument, if it had been accepted, would have done that because the the court was pretty clear that there is room for valid moral criticism. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the Crown's argument, if accepted, would have meant that any time someone... The, the, the criticism of uh, an integral activity would, would inherently be the promotion of hatred. And so it, it would have expanded that encroachment into uh, the ability of people to express themselves on these kinds of issues. Mm. Okay, so there would be a, definitely a very chilling effect, especially amongst uh, religious communities with respect to these issues. And I'm just wondering, Jojo, if you could explain um, a little bit about Free to Care and also your interest uh, or Free to Care's interest in this particular case. Well, Free to Care, uh, as you know, Barry started in response to the conversion therapy bans that were going on across Canada, particularly the federal mm -hmm. one. And as we warned, uh, these kinds of bans that go particularly after people's personal choices, including how they, who they talk to, how they behave, uh, which these laws do actually uh, govern for the LGBTQ community, but for no one else, uh, will be used to expand and will be used to attack uh, those of us who don't uphold that worldview. And, and this is one of those things where we, we looked at this law or this potential ruling and said, this is exactly the kind of stuff that we need to be able to intervene. And because we have the experience dealing with these kinds of issues, representing, for example, Christians like myself who have same-sex attractions, but choose to be celibate and choose to advocate for that view, uh, when it comes to our views of sexuality and gender. So we particularly pointed this out as part of the intervention Hatim and our team put together just to really say, look, uh, you're writing a, uh, an idea about people's identity that doesn't fit every Canadian. Mm. And it's not fair for you to say this is the narrow band of your identity of who you have to be. So one of the arguments that, that was made was that even the Crown prosecutor said it is that your sexual behavior is your identity. That was one of the, the quotes from the courts. And, and, and that was sort of 
shocking to me because it was engaged by one of the justices as well, this whole idea of what it means to necessarily be gay. If you choose not to act in that way and then advocate for that choice that you've made, are you now wanting to eradicate gay people? Those are the, the kinds of questions we raise. And that's why Frida Kerr was able, I think, to justly step in and engage these ideas. The other point that we made is uh, it's clear, even in the Canadian Constitution, and Hatim really brought this out, that we are allowed to criticize foundational and fundamental ideas that other groups have, mm. which is why we have Protestant and Catholic schools enshrined in the Constitution, even though we fundamentally disagree with uh, with each other on a whole variety of different things. That doesn't mean we want to eradicate the other group. Mm -hmm. And that's why both are protected in the Constitution. The Constitution already recognizes you can criticize people's behavior or beliefs and not want to eradicate them. We can still live cheek to jowl with each other. Right, right, right. Yeah, so... <laughs> The, the struggle, you know, as as we move along with the uh, the experience of uh, the what would you say the the, the 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 discussion when it comes to sexual behavior um, is that it's becoming more and more difficult to make that fine line uh, so that we're not moving over into hate but expressing immoral opinions. And is, I mean, are, are you sensing that we are now uh, coming perilously close to not allowing any kind of expression of any kind of opposition with respect to, uh, to sexual behavior? Well, I'll, I'll leave the legal analysis to Hatim, but uh, there was a recent study that just came out that found that uh, I think it was over 50% or just around 50% of millennials mm -hmm. believe there should be legal consequences for people who do not use their preferred pronouns for misgendering them. So that's a whole voting block, a whole voting, voting block of young people who have this mindset nice. that if you don't agree with my preferred gender identity, that I can create at a whim based on how I feel at the moment we should be able to jail you. Right? That's, the, that's the premise that these groups are talking about, and they're finding, they're, they're finding an audience for those claims. Now, the good news is in the same study, uh, Generation Z were not as zealous for that, and that may be because of fatigue with the fact that people are getting tired of having to accommodate all of the different preferred pronouns and identities that literally people are making up on the spot. And, and I think, uh, especially when you have people like J.K. Rowling and others who are saying, no, you're actually erasing womanhood or female identity mm -hmm. when you do this, I, I think that's actually resonating even with a secular audience. So, Hatim, it seems like the courts are becoming more and more sensitive to these kinds of arguments. And when I say sensitive, more willing to follow the logic of of these argument that if you criticize one's behavior, you're criticizing the actual person, not only criticizing, but you're hating that person. Yeah, I, I do think there has been a real uh, culture shift in terms of the, the court's view of these matters. Um, 
we're seeing less and less of the real uh, sort of uh, full-blooded defense of freedom that maybe we've seen in some of the older cases. And there, there is more of a, a yes, but approach to, to these questions about where the limitation on freedom applies. And by yes, but I mean, yes, you have the, the freedom of expression, but there's all these other concerns that uh, could potentially outweigh it. And I think the court is more sensitive to uh, the fact that some of these issues can, in fact, outweigh the, the, the value of, of the freedom of expression. Um, thankfully, we, we didn't see that here. So what, what the court did is the, the court, um, it, it, so for on, on the one hand, it, it kind of avoided the issue. Uh, they decided the case on the basis of the expert evidence issue. So, uh, and on that basis, they're sending it back for a new trial, as, as you'd mentioned earlier. But um, they did have a couple comments about the, the arguments that we had made. And the court did a bit of uh, reconciling between the, the two sides. So the way the court put it is that there wasn't a real disagreement between the Crown and, uh, and Frida Kerr's position. Uh, and that, in fact, both parties agree with what the case law already is, which is that uh, uh, basically the, the, the current status quo that you can, you can criticize behavior, but it can't be used as a cover for promoting hatred, uh, which you know, I, I think is is uh, toning down the Crown's argument, which was pretty clear that uh, that criticizing behavior is equivalent to to saying a group shouldn't exist. So there, there there's that two links in the in the Crown's logic that I, I think the Crown the the court didn't have to address and, and for the most part uh, sort of padded over. But uh, certainly, I think it's something we're going to have to be on the lookout for, especially as this case takes another run through the courts. Yeah, and so. Okay, so now we're going to go back to the lower court, and the lower court is now going to be, because um, as I understand it, the concern of the Court of Appeal was, look, the lower court um, should have allowed expert opinion. Is that what I understand to be the case? Yeah, exactly. So the Crown uh, at the trial had sought to uh, adduce the evidence of an expert, uh, Professor Moulet, and so he would have been an expert on uh, uh, anti-gay discrimination and the, the sort of broader cultural context of anti-gay discrimination and some of the stereotypes that tend to go along with mm-hmm. it. And uh, at trial, the, the court had decided that that evidence was inadmissible. So uh, just to fill in uh, the, the viewers, the, the approach to expert evidence is that it's opinion evidence, which is generally not admissible, but it, it can be admissible if it's necessary to help uh, the judge or, or the jury, if there is one, mm-hmm. to to understand the facts that are at play. So the judge had determined that it wasn't necessary because uh, every average member of Canadian society is well aware of anti-gay discrimination and and is able to to understand it. Uh, but then the uh, in this decision, the court of appeal found that there was actually a uh, a context that was missing from the judge's decision that could have been informed by uh, Professor Mule's evidence. And so on that basis, they're sending it back. So does that not suggest that the Court of Appeal was nevertheless sympathetic to the, to the Crown's position? Like, I mean, it seems to me that the trial court the, the lower court, at least, the were saying, look, we don't need that expert evidence. And, and like you say, it's 
its opinion. And but by the Court of Appeal saying, well, no, no, we think you should have allowed that in and provided that broader context. So is it is it a sense that perhaps the Court of Appeal was saying, well, if you had this broader context, you probably would have arrived at a different decision? I think it'd probably be fair to say there there's an element of that. Um, you know, the, the Court of Appeal didn't go so far as to to come down on on whether or not uh, Mr. Watcott's flyer was promoting hatred or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from the, the way the court put it is, in the court's opinion, there was a an asymmetry. So uh, the defense did get to adduce expert evidence about Christian beliefs in order to contextualize I see. Okay. Um, some of the things that Bill Watcott was saying in the course of his, his advocacy. And so the court framed it as there being uh, an imbalance here where, mm. where there was that there was the context of the religious views, but not the context of the uh, discriminatory element of it. I see. Um, though there is there is there is some good news here. So the court didn't do a full dive into the issue of uh, the definition of hatred, mm-hmm. but in what in what the court did say, it was a few paragraphs, but the court affirmed the the case law as it currently stands, and so I think that is a uh, a buttress against potential pushes to expand it because. Uh, Ultimately, the Crown's argument was looking to expand the definition mm. of hatred. There's something the court has previously said is acceptable. Uh, the Crown's argument, if accepted, would have made it unacceptable. It would have even meant that uh, an atheist criticizing believers in God, uh, if they criticize religious practices, those are essential to religious believers, that would be unallowed. So real religious debate, real moral debate would have been uh, deeply hampered by this. It would have been a severe expansion. But the court, uh, in a sort of perhaps a gentle way, but it did affirm the case law as it currently stands and says, yes, people do have the right to engage in this sort of criticism with the caveat that it can't be covered for promotion of hatred. And so it always comes back to whether or not it's leading to the vilification of the group in question. Mm. Now, this decision, I believe it was that there was no dissent in the decision, right, to, to send it back. Yeah, that's correct. It was a unanimous decision of the court. Mm. Okay, so Jojo, what's your sense uh, after going through this experience now um, as an intervener? And I should let our audience understand that the concept of being an intervener is um, you are coming to the court to say, hey, we'd like to assist the court in making its decision so that it is aware of the wide wider implications of the decision that it's making. So you're not a party to the to the case, but you are an intervener in the case uh, because this is of uh, big concern for your members and for your constituents. And as you've gone through this now, having to go back uh, to the lower court, uh, what's the sense of free to care at this point as you uh, prepare for the next stage? Well, no, and th- thanks for adding that, Barry. The the concept of what we're doing here is not necessarily or directly supporting what Wacott did. We take no position on that legally. But mm-hmm. I mean, frankly, from our perspective, he's he's doing a lot of damage to the Christian community, sadly, because he his actions don't seem to be very thoughtful or tactical. And we're facing a very hostile court. So this is not the best time or place to do that. At least that's my personal view. Mm. Uh, but because of the specific 
situation that we're in, the specific argument that actually is devastating, not just to the religious community, as Hatim said, but frankly, any organization criticizing another group's foundational identity. So if it's uh, vegetarians uh, attacking hunters or vice versa, that could potentially be covered if simply disagreeing with some foundational behavior mm. or belief of another group is akin to wanting them to be eradicated mm. uh, in the most violent way. Like this, this is this is something all Canadians should be very concerned about if they had the decision had gone that way. Now we're pleased, obviously, that this is the the case um, did not expand that, and the court did affirm that. Uh, the idea that we can still criticize, but frankly, I, I I don't see this stopping, Barry. There's more of these kinds of arguments, whether in, in this case or potentially other cases that will be brought up. And and now that Wacott's going back to trial, I, I'm I'm hoping this doesn't come up as an argument again. Our our legal team will know that better, mm. but I don't see them not wanting to bring it up. If, if it's something that's part of a, a broader agenda to say that simple and, and honest disagreement with sexual behavior that is not part of God's plan is akin to wanting to eradicate a whole group of people. Mm. That, that, that simply is a, an equivocation that is actually part of the, the political machinations of many LGBTQ organizations. That's how they talk. That's how they share on these kinds of topics. So it's not over. Mm. And I guess the reality is we as a society have got to be engaged in these conversations because if not, we're going to have a very radical position, it would seem to me, going forward. Uh, that's going to prevent and limit uh, one's freedom of speech, which we have maintained in our organization as one of the first freedoms. And it's certainly, as time has gone on, we're seeing more and more. It's almost like it reminds me of the uh, the concept of heresy or blasphemy that was uh, quite common in uh you know, centuries ago where people would say anything about uh, the definition of God or uh, have some other view that was outside of the accepted state religion that, you know, that was a, in some cases a capital offense. And so so this kind of mindset is uh, very trouble, troubling uh, and that we have got to be very careful not to repeat the mistakes of, of history. And even though this is a different context and a different, you know, position today, uh, but nevertheless, it is along the same parallel uh, kind of development in society at large. If I could just jump in there, Barry, because I think I've been thinking about this for a while. You know, I've been doing and teaching Christian apologetics for probably about 20 years now. Mm -hmm. And our biggest fight at the start of my career was relativism, the idea that there is no right or wrong. Every person decides what's true for you. Right. And I always thought that was a facade, that was a charade, because uh, people who claim that there is no objective truths would be very fast to condemn you if you violated one of their moral standards. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that facade is gone now with these kinds of cases because what we're actually seeing is a new moral majority. In the 80s, there was a Christian group called the Moral Majority that was fi fighting for conservative Christian principles in the US. 
Well, we now have the opposite. We have a, a very far left ideology that says people do not have a right to say anything or do anything that hurts my feelings. Mm. And it's this generation that says their feelings are the priority that have turned that around. So there's no longer relativism. It's actually tyranny. Mm. Whoever is the most sensitive person in the room gets to decide what everyone else can say and do. Mm. And you don't have to be a conservative Christian. There are actually many more liberal, like traditional liberals in the U.S., in the media, people like I mentioned, J.K. Rowling, uh, people like Bill Maher, who's an atheist, and others who are realizing this is actually dangerous for democracy mm. when we have a group of people who think that they can never be offended and they have to make sure through law everybody else uh, is not offensive to them. Mm. That's dangerous. Yeah, and uh, fundamentally, our rights as we understood them uh, from a classical liberal point of view, is that the smallest majority is the individual. And in protecting minorities, we need to be protecting individuals, which means you need to allow them to speak their minds. Uh, we obviously mm -hmm. would not agree with everybody, but that's the whole point. It's uh, part of uh, ongoing public dialogue and discussion and debate. And yeah, so this is, this is a very troubling uh, concept for sure. And certainly appreciate very much the fact that your organization is, um, is there and able to, to speak to that. Uh, Hatim, can you share with us any other thoughts that you have going forward now as we look at the next stage of this case? Uh, what do you see uh, developing? I noticed that this case is from 2016. We're already... Uh, seven years, um, how much longer do you think it's going to take before uh, the lower courts hear it again? Well, um, the, you know, realistically, uh, court, the, the gears of justice do tend to, to grind along rather slowly. So uh, it, it wouldn't be surprising if it were to take probably another uh, year or so, maybe, maybe even a bit more. Um, some of the issues are that they had to go through to, to get to trial have already been settled mm. uh and and the court of appeal just settled another one and that uh professor Mule's evidence will be admitted so that that's now established um so the you know they'll have to go to trial the 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 judge will have to prepare a decision uh and then it probably wouldn't be too surprising if from there it uh it gets appealed again by whichever party is uh unsatisfied with the result so uh, i don't think this will be the the last we're hearing from this case mm. uh but you know it, there's a lot that was uh, that's promising about the way uh, it happened at the Court of Appeal, at least, I think, mm -hmm. uh, in that the Crown's argument proceeds on this assumption of what uh, what the identity of being a gay man is and that it entails a certain kind of uh, behavior mm -hmm. and that therefore criticizing the behavior is criticizing the identity. And so that's why it was so valuable to have Frida Kerr's voice in the courtroom to provide a different perspective to to show that it's not that simple that there there's a lot going on here and uh the court didn't touch the issue or or didn't make a, a formal finding on it but you know it, it's not unusual for courts to decide a case on multiple grounds right. uh it, it could have very easily happened that the court would have ruled on the expert evidence and also ruled on the definition of hatred uh and so i think uh i think it was it was really important to have Frida Care and, and ARPA Canada in the courtroom to alert the judges to the fact that this issue, you know, this isn't a small issue. 
that can just be sort of uh, mm -hmm. uh, glossed over in the, in the course of a longer decision. But uh, it's a major decision in its own right. And so uh, I think the court was was wise to say if they don't have to decide this case on that basis, they'll leave it to a case where it's it's actually a necessary decision to make. Uh, and, and they can just leave the law as it currently stands, which which relegates the the offense of promotion of hatred to very narrow bounds in order to avoid it encroaching on freedom more than necessary. Right. So as we uh, look at the evidence that the expert was going to give, do, do have we received uh, was I'm assuming that evidence was uh, submitted to the court uh, through an affidavit. Uh, what what is contained in that evidence? So it, it's essentially um, evidence about stereotypes about uh, anti-gay discrimination that have existed uh, in the past, and I, I guess potentially also nowadays. And that there are certain one element of it was the idea of dog whistles that there there are phrases that are used in the flyer. Uh, that uh, Mr. Watcott handed out that aren't obviously uh, promoting hatred, but to people who recognize them would be able to be seen as uh, something that is in fact vilifying uh, gay men. So for example, um, one, one element of this is that uh, much of the flyer that Mr. Watcott handed out was associating the homosexual lifestyle with uh, with disease. Uh, he says it bring it brings disease and and it's uh, damaging to society. And so Professor Moulet's evidence is that that is actually a trope used by anti-gay uh, discriminatory or people engaging in anti-gay discrimination to say to associate um, homosexuality, which they're trying to criticize. Uh, with things like disease or moral decay, in that there, there's a broader context to this that uh, the court should be aware of in determining whether or not it's promoting hatred. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So and then, I think yeah, I, go, go ahead. If I could add, I mean, it's, I'm not a legal expert by any means, but from an apologetics perspective, look, we would look at the facts. If there are true things, statements that are a result of a physical kind of behavior, and there's there's health reasons or health factors that are well researched that show that there is a result of that. That shouldn't be hate speech. That that is a fact. It's and and that was my concern again from a non legal expert. The it would seem like the decision was based on the idea that. Uh, the pamphlet in general, like the the re overall reading of it, would cause an offense or cause people to feel hate, hated. But the research that was done and the arguments that were made in the case actually broke down the pamphlet, and that's how it was ruled to be not hate speech. And, and again, I don't want to delve into areas where I'm not an expert, but whenever I hear courts saying, well, what does the overall pamphlet make people feel rather than whether it's true as a christian apologist that causes me grave concern mm. that people are putting feelings over facts and and i think uh, as i understand it the courts have been saying that uh, even if it's true 
is not necessarily a defense. It's how it's how that truth is presented. Is that uh, not how the the law is, Hatim? Uh, yeah, that, that, that's a fair uh, description. It's truth is a defense to defamation, but it is not a defense uh, in this case. Or yeah, it's not a, uh, a defense in this case. Uh, so an interesting piece of evidence that was uh, present in the trial, uh, there was there's another expert who is an infectious disease expert, and he reviewed the medical health claims made in the flyer. And his evidence was that the claims were uh, perhaps not 100% accurate as an expert might state it, but they were they were embellishments. They weren't totally off the mark. They were uh, in the realm of plausibility for a layman to be relaying. Mm. And so uh, this is a an area where I you know I think most people like just just a moment ago Jojo was very careful not to talk about something he's not an expert on. But of course, people in their day to day lives talk about things all the time, right. and that, that's part of having an opinion about things and being able to discuss with others. Uh, and so. The, you know, according to an infectious disease expert, the claims in this pamphlet were within that kind of realm of close to true that a person who's not an expert might say. Mm. And so I, I think that's an area that uh, people would want to be very concerned about mm -hmm. limits starting to apply, uh, because it can be very difficult to prove that something is true in court in any event. And right. so, you know, people should have the latitude to be a little wrong about things as well. Right, right. And, and I, I would add too, Barry, just last point here. Uh, really what's at stake isn't just freedom of expression. It's freedom to be able to be who you want to be. Mm -hmm. So if I choose to be celibate and follow a Christian worldview, mm -hmm. uh, does that mean I have less rights than someone who's openly gay and is able to do whatever he or she wants? Mm -hmm. Right. Those are actually foundational questions, even beyond the idea of expression. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and of course, then you've got the other element that the courts have got away, and that is um, if, it, if it does come down uh, very strictly against uh, freedom of speech, uh, then mm -hmm. we're going to end up having people self-censor all the time and not engaged in public debate and discussion. And that's not what we want, because we want to be able to have those debates, to be able to determine the truth of the matter, and and to be able to make a society a much better uh, place. And yet, at the same time, we've got to try to figure out how we can uh, live together on this same piece of real estate we call Canada and live in peace. Uh, but it's uh, increasingly getting um, how will I say, all kinds of minefields out there that many people are very uh, concerned about what they say, how they approach things, and this kind of thing. And, and I think it's going to be very important for the courts to keep allowing the avenues of speech to be able to continue. Um, and obviously, we need to do it all in, in a very civil manner. Well, folks, I, I just want to thank you so much uh, uh, for uh, being with us, I see that our time is gone. I, um, I, I, I just can't imagine um, as we, as we look at towards the future of having to go back to trial and having to make arguments all over again. And uh, I just want to thank you, Jojo, for your organization and for being there, and for Hatim for your 
legal expertise in uh, making these uh, matters known uh, to the court and for uh, society at large to be able to uh, keep in contact. Is there any final word that you would like to give and also to give your contact information so that people would be able to contact you? I'll start with you, Jojo. Well, you can see on my uh, title there, freedacare.ca is our, our website. We'd love to have you contact us. And, and if anything, what we learned from this experience, it's our first intervention in a court in Canada, mm. is that it really matters to show up. Because oftentimes the narrative that's being told by the culture or by the political elites exists because we as Christians or others who have a view that says freedom should be free uh, is not showing up. We are we're too angry or we're too irrational or all kinds of things. Mm. But when we actually make thoughtful arguments like Hatim did in the case and that uh, the courts had to engage in, it was actually pretty astounding from what I was told that when Hatim was making his statement, usually interveners are not interrupted by the justices. And in this case, they he one of them did, mm. uh, which was almost unheard of, I was told. And, and that means that they were engaging our ideas. Mm. And that's critical because when we show up, they have to deal with us. Right, right. Hatim? Uh, yeah, this case was an interesting example of uh, an instance where there wasn't an explicit constitutional issue uh, before the court. Uh, rather, the, the constitutional issue was settled in the 90s, but now there's room for redefinitions and expansion. Mm. And so it, it's important to be vigilant, uh, to look out for those opportunities and to, to push back in the name of freedom and to, to, to keep these, you know, an offense that has the ability to limit freedom in its place. Uh, and, you know, if people want to support that, that push and support uh, legal cases that are advocating for freedom, uh, they can visit jccf.ca to learn how they can support us. Okay. Well, gentlemen, thanks again. It was great having you here and keeping us informed on this important case, and we'll be watching it as it, uh, uh, as it moves forward. So, folks, I want to thank you very much for being with us today as we have talked about this important case uh, that was uh, recently uh, sent back to the lower court by the Ontario Court of Appeal in the matter of uh, Bill Watcott. And I ask that you would like and subscribe here to our First Freedoms Foundation website and uh, to our channels. Thank you so much for being with us. And I recognize, of course, that not everyone is going to agree with the opinions that are expressed by my guests or by myself on this show. Uh, but on, first, on our Freedom Feature program, we're wanting to be, have an open, honest, and transparent dialogue. And until next time, I'm Barry Bussey. The fight for freedom consists not only in the legal battles in court, but also in the battle of ideas at the universities and in the media. It takes time, effort, and money to keep on top of the debates for freedom. Your donation allows us to keep fighting for all Canadians. Firstfreedoms.ca